Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for your love. I thank you that we can sing of your greatness, that we can glorify the name of Jesus, that we can proclaim the truths of the gospel through song and through the word. Holy Spirit of the living God, I pray that you will fall fresh upon us this morning, that you will use my mouth to proclaim your truth, and that your spirit will prick our hearts to be convinced and convicted, not only of the truth of the word, but the necessity for us to act upon the word of God. May this not just be a time where we learn something for education in our minds, but Father, may you use this word in our lives and in our hearts, the living and breathing word of God for transformation. In your name, amen. Amen. One of my favorite short stories is by a guy named John Stott, who also wrote Of Mice and Men. This favorite short story of mine is about the Valley of the Blind. And it's the story of a guy who's mountain climbing and then all of a sudden falls down out of the mountain into this remote valley. Now, in this valley, no one has ever gotten out of the valley. For 10 generations, these, these folks, these indigenous valley people, have lived there their entire lives for 10 generations. And as this man falls down the, the mountain, people find him and help put him back together. And when he wakes up, he begins to ask them what they see, or it begins to describe sight and seeing. And, and they're very confused because none of them for 10 generations have had eyeballs. For 10 generations, they have not had an, an eye in their eye socket, not a single one. And so as this man begins to describe what sight is, as he begins to try and talk about seeing and, and really understanding color and all these things, these folks, these indigenous valley people think he's crazy. They look at him and say, we need to put you in an asylum. We have no idea what you're saying. What you're talking about makes absolutely no sense. And so the blind elders of the valley community, they begin to feel the man's face and see that he has, they, they feel that he has these, these balls in his eye sockets. And they said, this is the problem. This guy's got weird things coming out of his head, so we need to pluck them out. Well, the man then convinces them, no, 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 hold on, don't take my eyeballs. That's what I'm talking about. This is how I see. And they begin to listen to what he says, and he convinced them of sight. He convinced them of what seeing really looks like, and they explained color, and they were in awe of this whole world that they had never experienced. I share that story because you and I, as believers, those of us who believe in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, we are the man with eyes. We see, and we live in a world or a valley of the blind, where the world does not see Jesus, where the mission or the gospel of Christ seems crazy, that God would come as a baby, grow up as a man, and die and rise again, that seems like a crazy, illogical story, a made-up story, but it's not. And you and I are put on this earth to display and to show and to tell the good news of color in the world that they don't see. The beauty of seeing Jesus, our Savior, and understanding and recognizing who He is. We have that call. This world needs Christ, and it needs us to be witnesses to this world. The valley of the blind is a valley of people that are dying, and they need the life that the gospel brings. Charles Spurgeon once said this, Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter. 
Every Christian is a missionary or an imposter, which means the call on our lives as believers is to be a sent missionary person, a sent missionary people. Every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. Every single Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. You and I are called to be the eyes to the valley of the blind. We are called to be the people that go and proclaim the kingdom of God as Jesus did in his time. Every Christian has a kingdom call to bear witness. So as we're talking about Christ's mission for the church, we have to ask the question, what is Christ's mission for the church? But then we also need to ask the question, how can we be effective witnesses in the midst of the mission that God is calling us to? I'm glad you asked that question because that's the question that we're going to seek to answer today. We're part of a denomination called the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Now, some of us old folks in the CMA, because I grew up as a kid in the CMA, I've been in the CMA for over 35 years, so we like to say missionary is our middle name, right? Missionary, Christian and Missionary Alliance. We started as a movement for missions. In fact, we were an ecumenical group of people who began together for the sake of mission. Where we said, I don't care what your, what your denomination is, we're going to gather together. If you have a passion for Jesus, if you believe that Jesus is the Savior, that He is the King, and you have a desire to go and share the gospel of Jesus around the world, let's gather together, let's raise some money, and let's go out and tell the world about Jesus. That's how our denomination began. But as any denomination in the beginning, then it becomes a movement, and then it became a denomination, the Christian and Missionary Alliance. And part of our mission statement is this, is that we desire to know Jesus Christ as Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King, and to complete His great commission. To complete His great commission. What is Christ's mission, and how can we be effective witnesses? Because we are a sent people. We are a sent people. Well, let's turn to the scriptures before we jump into how we do that because the word of God answers these questions. Matthew 28, 16 through 20. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible with you. And I'm reading from the ESV. It says this, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. John 1, 29 through 34. This is about John the Baptist. The next day, he, John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. 
and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. So, Christ's mission. And how are we to be effective witnesses? I believe Christ's mission and how we are to be effective witnesses can be answered in one point. And that's this, that we are to recognize, that we are to take notice of Jesus and help others notice Him too. Take notice of Jesus and help others notice Him too. Look in that beginning passage of what Jesus says to His disciples before He explains the going and making disciples. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying, I am the epicenter. I am the center of God's mission. As he is sending you out, it is about me. It is about me and not about you. All authority has been given to me, and so I send you out into the world. The centrality of Jesus in the mission that we are called is vitally important that we gather that and say it's about Jesus and not about us. Once we move out of the way and say, Jesus, do your thing, let me point to Jesus, let me notice where Jesus is showing up in my life, and let me point to others where Jesus is, who he is, and what he's about, that is the mission of Christ. That is us going out into the world and pointing Jesus out. Look at what John the Baptist did. He's sitting there with his disciples. He's sitting there talking about baptizing with water. He's telling them about someone who is going to be coming after him, who's going to be more important, who's going to be the Messiah. And there he is in this crowd of people, and he sees Jesus walking. And he stops everything. And he says, behold, that's him. The Lamb of God, who is going to take away all the sins of the world and cleanse everybody who believes in him. There he is. That's the one I've been talking about. He is the person who I said is greater than me. He is the one that you need to pay attention to. John the Baptist understood at the very beginning of his handing off of the ministry to Jesus that Jesus was the central point of everything. And he took time to stop and notice that Jesus was there and he took time to point Jesus out. John the Baptist lived the Great Commission by recognizing all authority has been given to Jesus. It wasn't about John the Baptist. In fact, later on, John the Baptist, he'll step back and say, you know what, you need to have more of him and less of me. And all of a sudden, John the Baptist fades away. And Jesus becomes the central figure of the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Because it wasn't about John the Baptist. It was about Jesus. How often in our lives, when we are just living normal life, do we miss that Jesus is showing up? We can get so busy, we can get so consumed with everything that's swirling around us that we forget that Jesus is still alive and well, that Jesus is still showing up. John the Baptist was diligent to point that Jesus was there. How often do we allow things to hinder us from seeing Jesus and then hinder us from pointing him out? Because even though we're in a pandemic, Jesus is still showing up. Something that we often do is we spend so much time looking at all the stuff that's going on around the world. We spend time on social media. We spend time on the news. We spend time in the newspaper. We spend time on our phone. We spend time talking about it. We spend time bemoaning what's going on around us. And we spend so much time that we actually miss what Jesus is doing now. I would like us all to do a time study, right? I want you to do a time study with your week this week. And say, how much time have you spent watching the news? Calculate it out. And then add up on another column, how much time have I spent in the Word of God? 
I bet you right now in this time, it's a little bit leaning over this side, heavier than this side. But you're going to miss Jesus if you're paying attention to all this mess rather than turning over to the Word of God and seeing where Jesus is showing up right now, today in your life. We need to be diligent in seeing Christ and be persistent in showing Christ. Be diligent in seeing Christ and persistent in showing Christ. If you're indoctrinated with all the stuff and the anxiety and the fear and the frustration that's going on around in our world in this pandemic, you're not going to be able to see Jesus show up. You're not going to be able to point others to who he is and what he's doing. And you won't be able to live the gospel life because you'll be so full of all the other stuff that you miss being filled with the truth and the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to be diligent in seeing Christ and persistent in showing Christ. We cannot allow our busyness to hinder our seeing Jesus. Take time and say, you know what, Jesus, where are you showing up? It could be that conversation that you have with that person that you didn't expect. It could be that time where you spent with family that was just a gorgeous, beautiful time in the midst of all of this craziness. Jesus could show up in the conversations or he could show up in, at your workplace. He's always showing up. Be on the lookout for where Jesus is showing up. These passages speak volumes about missions and our witness. The second way to see what, mission, what his mission is and how we are to be effective witnesses is to remember that our theology informs our Christian global witness. Our theology informs our Christian global witness. Witness. This is why we're taking time to dig into our theology as a body of believers and as a denomination to let you know what we stand for as a church and as a denomination and as individuals because our theology informs our Christian global witness. What you and I believe about sin, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and Christ's return, that all impacts how we see our witness, and how we see our mission. If you remember way back, week four of our series of doctrine, we talked about Jesus, our coming King, and I said that our theology of Christ's return should inform and should urge our passion for missions. Why? Because Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 says that as believers, you and I co-labor with him to witness to the world, to bring the gospel to the world. And when the world has been fully evangelized, then he will return. You and I have a part to play. You and I have an exciting time in this world to co-labor with Jesus, to help usher in the kingdom of God, the return of the king. But we can't do that if we don't go. We can't help him in his mission if we're not showing Christ, showing who Jesus is, or noticing him show up in our lives. The enemy would love nothing more than to distract us from our mission. He would love nothing more than to allow us to just sit and curl up in anxiety and fear and frustration rather than going out and doing what he's called us to do. The enemy, my friends, in the American and Western church is winning because we've all been sitting We've all been arguing online. We've all been yelling at other people. We've all been doing all kinds of other things rather than bringing the mission to the world, rather than displaying Jesus. Our theology informs our Christian and global witness. What do we believe about Jesus? And let us put that into practice. We could all say in our mind, yeah, sin is bad. Jesus is good. The Holy Spirit fills me. 
and we need to be going out and help usher in, in the king. But in the back of our mind, we're like, well, someone else will do it. It's not my job. I'll just sit back and all I'll do is pray. We have a part to play. This is a local and global reality. The beauty of the mission that we are called to. Our theology informs our Christian global witness. And you can see this in John the Baptist. He uses theology in his statement. He says this. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, He was before me. He's saying to the crowd, Jesus is God. Jesus was born before me because he has no beginning and no end. If you look at the biblical, the biblical narrative, John the Baptist is actually earthly years older than Jesus. But he says he was before me. He gives us the theological value that Jesus is eternal. But then he also digs into the, the Levitical law and says, this is the lamb. His blood will cover over our sins. This is it. The sins of the world for eternity. His death, his blood will cover over everything. He's saying, if you remember in Leviticus, which his Israelite friends would, the, the disciples and the people listening to what he was saying would totally comprehend what he's saying. He's saying, listen, you know, every year when we go to the Day of Atonement and the goat is slaughtered and the blood goes over the altar and it covers over the, the sins of Israel for a year, well, Jesus is the lamb where his blood will cover it forever. A theological point that you didn't hear anywhere before and it confused people until it happened. But he's giving a theological value saying, this is the truth, this is the one. And he's also hearkening back to Isaiah 53 where the suffering servant will happen. How does, the lamb, how does the lamb's blood cover over our sins? Well, there has to be death. Isaiah 53 talks about the suffering servant that's going to come. Now Israel was expecting a great and mighty king to beat up Caesar and take the land back and to set up a kingdom forever, the kingdom of the new David. Well, that's the return of the king. That comes later. That comes when Christ comes again. That's when the kingdom will be established in that way. But first, he had to suffer. First, he had to die. Understanding the fullness of sin and of Jesus assists us in sharing the gospel. We have to understand the fullness of sin and the fullness of of Jesus. What is sin and who is Jesus? These are vital understandings that you and I must grapple with. We must grasp and we must live out. So here we see the, the, the depth of sin that John is pointing out. He gives us two theological values, two big words that I like. Well, it's actually technically three big words that come theologically. The first one is substitutionary atonement. Substitutionary atonement is the fact that Christ will take our place. Because of sin, you and I deserve death. Because of sin, you and I deserve to be slaughtered and damned to hell for all eternity. Because of our sin, we have rejected Jesus. We have rejected life. We have rejected God completely. Every time we sin, we reject him. And because of that, we deserve death. Paul says the wages of sin is death. But Jesus, we see in Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 as well, we deserve that death but God. And here he's saying, John the Baptist is saying he covers over the sins of the world. He cleanses them completely. Only through Jesus can we see that salvation. He is our substitute. 
We also see my favorite theological word, which I tried to get MJ to say when he was one. Propitiation. Yeah, it's a fun word. He couldn't do it. <laughs> Propitiation means this, is that you and I not only deserve damnation, we also reserve the, deserve the wrath of God. The complete and full wrath that God has for sin and sinners, we deserve that. But Jesus is the wrath bearer. He bore God's wrath on our behalf. Man, those things should get us excited about sharing the truth, about living the truth that you and I deserve death, but we have life. And that's one of the beautiful things about baptism, where we symbolize the death that we deserve, but the life that we have in Jesus. My friends, we deserve death because of our sin. We've been too fluffy with our, our theology. In American theology, it's a really happy clappy. If you're just really nice and, and you just give millions of dollars, God will give you millions of dollars back, even more than you ever gave. It's going to be fun. It's going to be happy. But you know what? It's not easy. It's not fluffy. It's not rainbows and unicorns. Because we have to wrestle with our sinful nature. We have to surrender to the Lord and say, you know what? I lay it all down at the cross. I die so that I can live with you. Jesus died for our sins so that we can then live the gospel life and share that with other people. Other people are in the valley of the blind, which is also the valley of death. They need to know the truth of the gospel. And then we need to live that out. We can have all the knowledge in the world and say, you know what? My brain is so big about theology. But it's living it out. You see, we've been talking about orthodoxy, what we believe, but it's also about orthopraxis, how we live that out. A.W. Tozer said, the glaring disparity between theology and practice among professing Christians is a more destructive evil in its effect upon the Christian religion than anything else. What he's saying is, as believers, if we do not practice what we preach, we actually hinder the furtherance of the gospel rather than help it. We could say, you know what, I believe in all these great things. I believe in living a holy life. And then over here, we're totally not even trying to live a holy life. We're not even trying to, to surrender. We're hindering the gospel when we do that. You might as well just not talk about it if you're not going to live it. In the book of Malachi, God says to the people of Israel, I'd rather you just shut the doors of the church and the worship time. Stop pretending. Don't be fake. Because it's actually worse when you are giving sacrifices that you don't really mean. Some strong words. But you and I, we must practice what we preach. We must display the gospel of Jesus in our lives and remember that sin is a big deal. We need to wrestle with it. We need to teach about it. We need to say, you know what? In order for you to come to the saving grace of Jesus Christ, you've got to wrestle with your sin. You've got to die to yourself, pick up the cross, and follow him. That's probably one of the hardest disciple words in the world. Pick up your cross and follow him. We say that all the time, but the cross is a symbol of death. So we say, you know, I'm going to die to myself and I'm going to live for him because he died the death I deserve, but he's going to give me new life. That doesn't happen often in church. It's usually just, just say a nice little prayer and everything will be happy. No, you've got to die to sin. Sin is a big deal. The seriousness of sin should fuel the urgency of our witness. Sin is serious. 
And it should fuel the urgency of our witness because when we look around at the valley of the blind and we know that we have the eyes to see, it should break our hearts that they are wandering around towards death. It should break our hearts where we have a heart for the lost as we sang in our first song. Or we have a passion to see the lost saved. Are we asking that? Is our theology informing our global witness in our Christian life? The world needs set free from the bondage of sin, just like you did. And don't forget, you were once just as bad as the people that you might demonize today. You were not better. All of us deserve death. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The next thing, the third way we can see that these passages encourage us to live the mission, to understand what the mission is, is this. To recognize that knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. Knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. Look at that passage that that John the Baptist gives this confusing statement. He says, I didn't know who who he was. And God told me that when the Spirit of God rests upon him, then I'll know that that's who he is. And as soon as John the Baptist knew who Jesus was, his mission was set. He was going to make Jesus known. As soon as he knew that Jesus was the Savior, as soon as he felt that impact his heart, impact his soul, the rest of his life was pointing to Jesus. The rest of what he did was showing the world that Jesus was the way. The rest of his life, as he said, was to bear witness. He bore witness of who Jesus was. He pointed to Jesus because knowing Jesus leads us to make him known. If you really grapple with the reality of who Jesus is and you really grapple with the reality of what Jesus has done for you, the death he's pulled you out of, you can't help but talk about it. Where you point to Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 and say, I was dead. I was a mess. I deserve death and the wrath of God, but he brought me out. And some of you guys have those stories where you say, you know what? You probably remember me before I knew Jesus, and you probably know me now. Look at the difference. And it's only Jesus. Only Jesus could transform this. Because this is a mess. But Jesus and Jesus alone. Knowing him should drive us to making him known. In fact, this is part of our mission statement in in our church, to know God, to be known by God, and to make him known. It's what drives us as leaders and staff at this church to know God, to pursue who he is, to know more about Jesus and what he's done in our lives, and then to passionately go and make him known. I love that sign in the back of our sanctuary, you are now entering your mission field. Because it's true, this is a local and global reality where we are to live the gospel, know the gospel, know Jesus, and make him known. Jesus shares with him it's about his work. When he gives the great commission, and we need to remember that Jesus and his global mission are greater than us and our minor mission. Jesus and his global mission are greater than us and our minor mission. I know that we don't like to hear this very often, but your life is a minor mission in the greater mission of God. You and I are tiny specks in a time of history. We're tiny little dots 
on the map that don't even really register because our life is so short. Your minor mission is nowhere near as important as the mission that God has for you, that Jesus has set upon us, that all authority has been given to him to go, to make disciples in the name of Jesus and baptize them. His mission is more important than yours. Why do we get stuck on our minor mission? Why do we get stuck there and forget the global mission that Christ has for us? I think part of it is because we're really selfish. I know for me that's true. You can ask my kids and my wife, a lot of times life is about me. I'm learning how to, to grow in that area. But his mission is much more important than ours. John's mission in life was to make Christ known. That was his mission, and that should be our mission. But we must recognize this next point, that the Spirit alone empowers our local and global witness. The Spirit alone empowers our local and global witness. Look at that passage in Acts 1-8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And, which is almost like an and then, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. You and I cannot fulfill the mission that Christ has set us on unless we surrender to the Holy Spirit. Asking the Holy Spirit to empower us. Asking the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us the words to say, to give us the direction on where we are to go, whom we are to send, and how we are to pray. As you may or may not know, as a global missions organization, we have what's called the Great Commission Fund, where many churches and many individuals give to this pool of funds so that global mission can happen around our world. And one of the encouraging things that I have seen, many of you as the body of believers here at Indiana have been sacrificially giving. You have been empowered by the Spirit to give sacrificially, not just to our local church, but also to the Great Commission Fund. If you were to look at the numbers, we have not lost any money for the local church. You've all been giving generously, but we've also not lost a cent for our Great Commission. That is amazing. And I thank you for surrendering to the Holy Spirit. I thank you for listening to God and giving to the mission locally and globally. We have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of missionaries all across the world that are sent by us as a church and us as a denomination in areas that I can't even tell you because they're so dangerous that I, if I said we had a missionary there, it would be dangerous for that person, for those people. Jesus is showing up. Jesus is doing wonderful things by spirit-empowered believers. John explains, he says in, the, in that one small conversation, John the Baptist says, he who comes, he will baptize in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of the living God is for every believer. I always love saying there is no junior Holy Spirit. Kids, you, can, you have the Holy Spirit within you. We all have the Holy Spirit of God, but will we allow him to fill us as they were filled at Pentecost? In one short sermon, because Peter was filled with the Spirit of God, we saw 3,000 people come to salvation. If we all surrender to the Holy Spirit and we're empowered for mission to preach the gospel, the good news of Jesus, imagine what could happen. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This reminds me of a quote from A.W. Tozer in a book called God 
tells the man who cares. And he says this, The only power God recognizes in his church is the power of his spirit. Whereas the only power actually recognized today by the majority of evangelicals is the power of man. God does his work by the operation of the spirit, while Christian leaders attempt to do theirs by the power of trained and devoted intellect. Bright personality has taken the place of the divine afflatus. Everything that men do in their own strength and by means of their own abilities is done for time alone. The quality of eternity is not in it. Only what is done through the eternal spirit will abide eternally. All else is wood, hay, and stubble. And here's the kicker. It is a solemn thought that some of us who fancy ourselves to be important evangelical Christians may find at last we have been but busy harvesters of stubble because we have not relied upon the Holy Spirit of God. We have not entrusted our mission, His mission, by being empowered believers. One commentator says about this portion of Scripture that John the Baptist is saying is that He will be the bearer and the dispenser, that's Jesus, of the Spirit, affecting the reality to to which John, with his water baptism, only pointed. We need to allow the Holy Spirit to baptize us with His power, to strengthen us, to rely upon Him to fulfill the mission He's called us to. We must give more and more and more access to the Spirit in our lives, where we spend time in prayer and in the Word rather than being uh, inundated with all these other things. Because I fully believe that any believer can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Any believer can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. We have no excuse. Because Jesus sent the same Spirit to each and every believer You and I have the same Holy Spirit that the disciples had. You and I have the same Holy Spirit that Paul had as he evangelized and spoke in large crowds and in small one-on-one conversations. You and I have a kingdom call to bear witness, and any believer can give witness by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we do so. May we be used by God to follow the mission that Christ has for us. And my prayer is that we'll see people come to Christ. Even in a pandemic, we don't have to be afraid to go out and speak the truth of the gospel, to live the truth of the gospel. May we be people who choose to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your love. I thank you for your word. I thank you, Father, that you sent Jesus to save me from my sin. Because I'm a mess. And I need you. I deserve death and your wrath and eternal damnation, but you and your love brought me out of that into life. Because of Jesus, his death and resurrection. I pray, Father, that you'll fill us with your spirit to be people who bear witness and go after the mission with which you've called us. In Jesus' name, amen.